Yeah, so I'm really glad to, to be with you all this morning. I feel really refreshed after having some time off for Thanksgiving and um, and I was able to take off last Sunday from preaching, so I'm thankful to everybody who made that happen, the, the staff and, and Robert for preaching and all of that. So I'm just glad to be with you all this morning, glad to see your faces, and glad we can be warm together when it's, when it's so cold outside. So um, this, this season of Advent, it's the beginning of the church calendar, the calendar that's been around for over 1,500 years. And it starts, the church calendar starts with the life of Jesus. It starts with the expectation of the birth of Jesus on earth, and it, it completes and, um, and starts over here every year. And as, as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the scriptures that we have that we follow in the lectionary, and thinking about how much they connect to this idea of hospitality, of preparing a space and being present in a space to invite other people in or and or to invite God's presence in with us. I, I think about the birth of Jesus and how strange it is that divinity would take the risk of relying on imperfect human hospitality, to trust the divineness of God to a teen mom and a poor carpenter traveling across the ancient Near East on camelback. I mean, the, the fragility of that situation strikes me. And further, the... the lack of hospitality that was provided to them. We all know the story of the child being born in, in a manger, in a feeding trough, in a stable, and how differently that story could have gone in a number of different ways. And the, the key factor, the key difference is hospitality of how that story may or may not have gone in God's favor or, or not. I'm also reminded of times for me personally when I've not been in a place to be able to show hospitality. When I have been uh, overextended, where I have been too unhealthy, too preoccupied with things that were good or not good, um, and, and I was not able to provide a space for others to rest in, to be known in, to be loved and cared for in. Anybody ever, have you ever hidden when somebody knocks on the door? You ever, or, or like gotten really still, you know? When somebody's knocking on the door or, or you see the, the phone ring and you see the person's name on there and you know they, they really need support right now in their life and you're like, eh, oh, I hit the button. I hit the silence button. And I thought of my excuse immediately because you're just too overextended. I know, I, I know I've done that. A couple brave people raise their hands. But yeah, I, there's been times when I think about hospitality that it's important for me to remember that the way that I live my life, that the choices that I make, they provide or don't provide more conditions for me to be a hospitable person. For God 
in my life, in my heart, and for other people. Um, I'm, I'm also reminded of times when I've been taken care of in really hospitable ways, where just being in another person's presence, their quiet spirit, their soul, their kindness, their attentiveness, their eye contact. Maybe there was no drinks or other hosting things or decorations or things like that that was involved in those things, because a lot of times that's what hospitality gets kind of conflated with. But maybe that person just gave me rest just by being there with me. You know what I'm talking about? Have that experience with somebody. Maybe you have a particular friend or family member, and most of the time when you're around them, when you're with them, you feel that sense of safety, of warmth, of kindness, of compassion. Um, last week, I, uh, I got to stay while I was doing this retreat during the day, this therapeutic retreat thing, um, at the Hansons' house, and um, they've got like a spare room and a spare place for somebody to stay, and, um, and I'm just always so grateful and thankful for their hospitality and the warmth that they have. I used to say, um, earlier in the pandemic that they had a bulletproof uh, story group or a pandemic-proof story group. I hope it's bulletproof too, but that's not what I said. Um, and I think it's just that, that sense of warmth and care. I think about um, people like Kara uh, Minyard hosting a brunch every, every month at her house and always in inviting people in. Uh, uh, the Friendsgiving that we just had on Tuesday where people from the community, people from our church could come and eat a warm meal together and spend time together without any particular agenda except for people to feel, fill their bellies and to feel warmth and kindness and generosity. Um, this, is why we, this is why we have people from our congregation become liturgists like Brenda's doing today to welcome people in and invite people in to the space and help them to feel seen not just by us, the clergy, but by us, the congregation and the partners here. Uh, that's why we do story groups. And I know it, it, it feels like maybe it's just a really ordinary thing to talk about hospitality, but I think that it makes an incredible difference in how we live our entire lives, what our life of faith looks like, it can even be the difference between life and death. In fact, in Jesus's day and in the writer, writer's times of Isaiah in the ancient world, hospitality meant the difference between life and death. That when you were traveling on a camel or by foot or a horse or something like that, a donkey through arid wastelands of desert, and temperatures got extremely cold at night, extremely hot during the day, that if you could not rely on a stranger's hospitality, you could die. But it's like that today too. That even for us, even for those of us who have cars and homes and 401ks and all these types of things, there are huge spiritual deserts in between places of hospitality. And I, I remember hearing on the radio just a few months ago, 
polling, it was some uh, national poll on how many adults have a friend other than a family member, um, and the majority of adults said they did not in our country. Not even one friend outside of a personal or, or a, a blood connection with, with a family member. And so I, I, I think about that. I don't think that those people aren't places where there are other people. I just wonder on a spiritual and emotional level how much of our culture has lost the art and the spiritual practice of hospitality. The, the first step that I want us to consider this morning looking at this text in elevating hospitality is inviting the spirit of God into our thinking, into our thinking, into our plans, our processes, and our priorities. That when we are making decisions about how to live our lives, how much to take on, how much to do, where are our boundaries in relationships and all of the activities that we take on, there are a lot of voices that compete for our attention that tell us different things that come from different places. And some of those have really good intentions and, and have divinity in them. And some of them don't. So a good way that I forget about a lot of times to help reorient things is simply to invite God into my thinking process. And we're actually gonna, we're gonna take part in a group uh, process of doing that for a little bit this morning, not right yet. But what I've found is when I wanna find some clarity in all of those voices, what I tend to want to do when I'm, when I'm living out of health and I'm not living out of stress is to find the places where I already know that God is active and working. Places like, our, like the soup kitchen, like those who are mourning and grieving uh, with people who are just really generous. So a lot of people here with the hearts and minds of children and the things that they have to ask and think about and the questions that they want to know about the world. That um, those kinds of places and environments give me a sense of perspective. They give me a sense of what God might be doing and how I can further invite the Spirit of God into my thinking and my processes in life. The scriptures here in Isaiah, before we get to this passage, Isaiah is speaking for God and talking about a lot of the rituals that people go through in order to kind of please God or make some kind of connection with God, but it's, it's not going well. And I want you to hear this because I think it corresponds with what I'm saying here about where we can align our thinking and our plans and our processes with the places that we already find God at work. So this is coming from chapter one of Isaiah, starting in verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? 
this trampling of my courts. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Throughout the scriptures, there is a theme that the prophets bring to us. And it's this, that our, our rituals, our spiritual rituals, our religious rituals, they lose their purpose. They lose their efficacy. They lose the ability to inspire if what we practice in our place of worship does not happen outside of our place of worship. The things that we talk about and proclaim, the emphasis that we give to the things that we do here on a Sunday morning or somewhere else, that when those things fail to translate into any other aspects of our lives, that we find ourselves in a place where God's like, hey, I already told you where I'm at. I already told you where I'm working. I already told you what's going on and what I'm a part of and what I'm asking you for. So make sure that that's a part of your life, your rhythms, your practices. Now, finding the energy to do this work isn't always available, is it? Finding the energy to reach outside of ourselves if we're already hurt, if we're already struggling, if we're already um, in some kind of wheel, a hamster wheel of, of kind of repeating the same cause and effect cycles in our life, whether that be through addictions or relationships or whatever it might be, it's hard to do that. So, when we talk about this idea of hospitality and inviting God's processes and thinking into ours, if we cannot find the energy to do that by going out and doing those things that Isaiah is talking about, there's still plenty of hope for us. Let's, let's take a look at these first couple of verses here and here's what, hear what, hear what um, Isaiah is talking about. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. You know, mountains are a very spiritual place in, in the ancient world and even today. It's, you know, you're up high and it was meant and thought to be the home of many of God, many of the gods of the ancient world. It was also the place where Moses got the Torah, the Ten Commandments, the teachings to give to all of Israelites. And there's even um, in, in various Jewish writings, 
Uh, there is a idea there that that went out in through the spirit of God to all of the world. And this picture that we see here is a picture of the presence of God like a king on a mountain established and firm. That the presence of God is something that's available to all. That people could come and be a part of whatever God is doing at any time. All they needed was the desire to get there. So it, it reminds me of this other story in the New Testament with Jesus where Jesus is doing his thing. He's walking around teaching and healing people and all this kind of stuff. And um, there's this little dude, Zacchaeus. That's what they say. That's what it says. And some of you probably know the song from Children's Church. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, right? And he hides up in the sycamore tree. And what happens is he doesn't invite Jesus to come to his house. He's not immediately hospitable to Jesus. But you know what happens? Jesus looks up through that sycamore tree, through the leaves, and he sees Zacchaeus, who feels ashamed because he's a tax collector and he's shunned by his people and he's wronged a lot of people. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of bad blood between him and the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And Jesus looks up at him and he says to him, Zacchaeus, come on down from there. I'm going to eat at your house today. And this is the part, this is the part that I'm really thankful for in our faith, in Christianity, that even when we aren't necessarily asking for it, even when we aren't necessarily looking for it, that God can still come and visit us and say, hey, I'm right here. I'm knocking on the door. I want to come in. Will you let me in? So at that point, our responsibility is to decide are we going to let God's presence in? Are we going to make room? Are we going to make space for God to be with us? Um, some of the times that that's happened for me is sitting in the hospitality of another person. Somebody who wasn't worried about, is my drink full enough or has everything been cleaned up just right in their house or what else is going on um, or how good they look in front of me, but people who I can just sit with and just be with. I have learned so much about the love and presence of God, of divinity in those moments. And so I, what I want to tell you right now, you know what? And, and it's, it's, not even, it's not even only that when that person is sitting in front of me. It's even just spaces that have been prepared for such a thing. It's the work that goes into making a space that feels comfortable, that feels safe, that feels warm and inviting, like somebody wanted me to be there. That kind of space, when I don't have the energy, when I don't have the strength to look outside of myself, when I can think, where's somebody like that, that I know is already, already waiting for me, that already would love my presence to be with them, that I know that I can get a taste, that I can get some of that divine goodness of hospitality in that person's presence. You know who I'm talking about? You know somebody like that in your life? If you don't, 
You got to look for one. You got to look for somebody like that. I see a lot of people in here that are like that and can provide that, that space for others and that do that regularly. And I want to I wanna say that just to reiterate, I'm not talking about hosting. Okay? I, wanted, I, want, I want you to understand the difference of how I'm describing those things. See, a host is somebody who makes sure everybody has what they need at a party or an event or a get together. And they're the one, like if you're running out of something, they're the one who's going to keep track of those things and make sure that the thermostat's on the right temperature and all the decorations look great and all that kind of stuff. It's a very important job for fun events. We're going to have to have help hosting with the caroling and the round and we're working on those kind of things. And it, it definitely increases the environment. But when I talk about hospitality, what I mean is somebody who makes you feel seen, who lets you feel seen when you're ready to feel seen. Somebody who looks at you and says, I see you. And if, and if you're there too, you can respond and say, I am here. I am here. And that is a way that we can connect anytime, anytime it's available to this divine presence of hospitality with God. A practice that's come into my life slowly over the past seven years has been a practice of silence and stillness. And part of it is to create that hospitable environment, even within myself. And here's, here's what I notice as I try to help different people in our congregation and other pastors and other people that I work with to cultivate this silence and stillness in their lives, is that a lot of times when we first try to do that, what we realize is how much is going on in our heads of how, how difficult it is for us to be silent and still. How many things immediately pop into our minds. This is not a productive use of my time. I should be doing this, that, and the other right now. I know that's what it was like for me so often. And I have this and this, these things to do and that stuff to do. And the amazing thing is, is I could find other times and places to waste plenty of time. But when I got still, when I got silent, there were these voices that said, you shouldn't be doing that right now. You should be doing something else. But I found that as a practice, that's one of the things when we practice our eight practices and we do classes on these eight practices at different times, different semesters, that the first couple of our practices are around this, about choosing presence, being present where you are in the space that you're in and learning how to do that. And that as you choose presence, that you're going to start to experience things inside of you. And that's why our second practice is to seek health. What are the ways that are coming up inside of me that won't let me access the kindness and the warmth and the generosity that God might be willing to extend to me? And then that third practice is cultivating spirituality. So then how does that how does that come in and go back out? How does that come in and go back out? All of the spirituality that I'm now learning in fits and starts to receive. It's kind of a process that never ends, really. 
Sometimes I can be practice silence and stillness for 10 minutes and I'm like, well, I didn't actually, there was no stillness in my soul that entire time. But there are times when I'm gaining access to the hospitality, the space opening up within me that God can provide me with the energy and the resources that I need. So as we think about how we elevate hospitality in our church and in our own lives, two ways that I've talked about so far, one is other people. Other people, let yourself be needy for whatever it is that you need, whatever relational connections that you need in healthy and legitimate ways to go and find the people in your life. If you don't got them, you find them, you look for them, you come to us, you ask for help in those things to sit with you and to fill you up with what you need. And then practicing silence and stillness and doing what you need to be able to elevate that in your life so that you can also receive those things from God. So in this vision that Isaiah proclaims, it continues here in verse three, and it says, many peoples will come, come to this place where God is, this mountain, and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that, we, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of, Lord, of the Lord from Jerusalem. I want you to understand something here. Isaiah is inspired and energized by the spirit of God but it is not, God is not inserting thoughts into Isaiah's head like a computer does onto a screen. There is something else happening here. It is the engagement of Isaiah's imagination that he is experiencing something from God and it is merging together with his own thoughts and his own experiences of what God is like. And he is projecting this picture for us to see and it's filling him with passion and desire and longing to continue to work towards this future. It's an unfortunate translation in the NIV that says in the beginning of this, it says like the end in the end days. And, and really, when we look at the original ancient Hebrew, it's basically, it says, after right now. That's, that's more of the little, literal translation. It's like on, on a karate, the original Karate Kid movie, when Daniel's like, when are you going to teach me karate? And, and Miyagi says, after. And he's like, after what? He says, after, after. Um, so that's kind, of, that's kind of the vibe here. It's like, after right now, but when exactly, we're not quite sure. But here's what, I want, here's what I want to do. During the break, I didn't spend as much time as I usually do on a sermon in terms of uh, looking at commentaries and reading a bunch of scholars' work and things like that. But here's one thing that I did do. I sat outside one morning on a chair that we're getting rid of that's still really comfy that was sitting on our front porch. Uh, Sanford and Son style, right? Um, and I was thinking about this passage and I was looking into the sky and I was imagining what this would be like right now. What, what, what would this vision look like if it was readily available and accessible to us right now? And I just put my 
speaker on on my notes and I just started talking about it and letting my phone record what was happening there. So here's what I want us to do. Some of you, this won't be a problem because your eyes are already closed, but, um, <laughs> but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something that I wrote from this vision that Isaiah is casting here. And I want you to ask God to engage your imagination in what it is that you're seeing and what you're feeling. I want you to ask God to give you energy around this idea of hospitality in your life, okay? So go ahead and close your eyes. I want you to imagine a sky that's the bluest blue of any sky you've ever seen. And then as you turn and you're looking through this bluest of blue skies, you see a mountain striking out in the silhouette of that blue, blue sky. And this, this mountain has gentle slopes and it, and it looks majestic and it looks big, but it also feels comforting to you. It looks large, but it somehow looks accessible to you. And then imagine that you and other families and other individuals are traveling up that mountain. And there's a sense of excitement knowing that you're going to get something that you really need, that it's going to help you in this part of life that you're stuck in right now. And it's going to be a satisfying experience. It's going to be comforting. It's going to bring you the love that you've so desperately needed in your heart right now. And imagine that you hear other parents that are there. If you're not a parent, not other parents, just parents, and you're hearing them explaining to their children why it's such a good thing that they're about to do and why they should go and that they didn't have to be afraid. The feeling reminds you of almost what it's like when you're seven years old or five or four and you're about to go see Santa. When you get to the top of the mountain, you feel some fatigue in your legs, they're tired, but there's also an excitement and that excitement is more than enough to carry you forward. And there's lines when you get to the top. Lines to different entrances in this castle, in this amazing castle. But there's, the, there's lines uh, into all of these different entrances. And inside, you know who's there. You know the Lord is there. You know God is there. And although there's many different individuals and families of all different stripes, of all different places in life and culture that are there from all different parts of the country and even the world, that when you get through into that main door, as soon as you step inside of that castle where the Lord's chamber is, there's nobody else there but you and God. And as your eyes adjust to the light, because it was so bright blue outside, the Lord God appears to you as the most comforting and kind presence you've ever known. Could be a woman, could be a man, could be somebody who's old or could be a very young person with any number of different 
colors of skin or eyes or hair. I don't know. In fact, some of you are surprised because the face of God appears as someone you would have judged harshly just based on how they look. But now that face brings you nothing but warmth and affection and a feeling that everything inside of you is and could be and will be good. And God helps you start sorting through the voices inside of you, removing the shameful narratives that you've picked up along the way and helping you to realize those voices did not come from him or her. God teaches you what to do with the weapons that you have formed to protect yourself. Takes you to spiritual blacksmiths that will reorient those weapons into weapons of peace and kindness and hope and love. You bring people with you that you've had arguments and disputes that you haven't found a way to start talking to them again or maybe you don't even think you want to, but for some reason you feel like if you go here, if you come to this castle, that maybe something could happen to restore the relationship. God, in a multitude of presences with those people in you, help to retrain your hearts and your minds to see how these disputes could be resolved with compassion and compromise and understanding and the sharing of feelings and of different perspectives. And here's what happens. You all of a sudden have new ways of understanding opening up to you and others. Right now, you can even feel your mind expanding, that some narrow parts inside of you are opening up and that solutions are appearing to you that you thought there were no solutions possible for. At first, everyone goes to this mountain all the time to have their disputes resolved, to have guidance on issues, to tattle on a spouse or a sibling or a boss. But eventually the traffic slows down. As the people of the world slowly and steadily realize that God has been with them underneath the noise of the chaos and the hurt and the trauma and the violence. They begin to still themselves and ask for the presence of God to become tangible to them everywhere they are. A warm and unconditional light permeates the peoples of the earth and they over time begin to treat each other the way that they have experienced God treating them. No longer believing that God is harsh and vindictive, they begin to change how they see one another as another beloved of God. And lastly, people still must do hard things in this vision that you're seeing. But the challenge feels good and healthy. And God is with us with them, so we do not live out of fear that we won't have enough, that we don't know all the answers, and that peace and restoration is always possible. You can open your eyes. I'm going to do something 
to end this time that I haven't done uh, in the sanctuary before. And I just want you to share with somebody in the congregation just one thing that stood out to you in your vision that you just took some time to cultivate in your mind. One thing that stood out to you, then I'm gonna pray us into communion. So take a minute to share with one other person. If you have to move, move to do it. Go ahead. Thirty more seconds, so switch if you haven't already. As we embark on this Advent journey of elevating hospitality, we will need our imaginations. We will need the vision of our church, but also our own visions to sustain us, to energize us, to move forward, just as Isaiah did. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you... Come to us, that you came to us as Jesus, that you come to us in many ways, and that we can make a hospitable place for you to join with us. Let us continue to do that by your grace together. Amen.